Hi, I'm Jillian. I'm Olivia. I'm Holly, and you're listening to the Be Well Cartel podcast. Your go-to weekly podcast for women who want real, practical advice on food, fitness, and everything in between. And a healthy dose of dad jokes. We were ju- just before we started recording, we were just talking about how nice it would be to just have a snuggle. Yeah, yeah. It would just be so nice. And also, I feel like the two of us have had like pretty tumultuous couple of weeks. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I am um I'm also one of those people that um lingers on a hug, which makes oh, yeah. me feel oh, quite yeah. I'm a lingerer. I like to a very, very big hug, very tight, and hold it for a little bit longer than people probably want me to. But I'm just like, there is just a lot of love here that needs to be expressed. So the way that I like to hug is like, and here's, a, it, it's really interesting. I don't know if we've talked about this on the podcast before. So, and, and if you've ever been to Europe or Spain in particular, you know that people like do two kisses to, to when you meet someone or when you say hello to someone. And I actually really hate that. It really stresses me out because lo- like touch is such a strong love language for me mm. that like, I feel really uncomfortable touching people that I don't know. Like, I just really don't like it. Um, But then on the flip side is like once I, so for me, I was trying to explain this to someone the other day where for me, it's almost like there's like a sort of a a barrier of like, I, you know, maybe we'll like brush hands or something. And I'm like, okay, this is okay. But then at one point being like a friend of mine or in a relationship with me or whatever it is, there's like a floodgates that opens. And all of a sudden it's like, I will like, we'll hug each other. And I will do this thing where I just sort of like drape myself over the person (laughs) and just sort of like fall into them. And I'm like, you got, and I will tell people like, you need to let me know when you want me to let go because I'll just stay here for a really long time. Yeah. I have, I have a really good friend um, and she's really tall. And one of my favorite things to do is when I hug her is to just rest my head like on her boots. Oh my God. And she's just like, come on in come on in and I'm like thank you this is a really safe place for me (laughs) I completely understand this one of my best friends is like she just has the comfiest like body to do that with and so like and she's like just the right size so when I see her I will just like drape myself over her and she's like the kind of person that's just she's just like oh she's the best she's so sweet I love her so much I miss her yeah yeah I actually saw uh my friend when I was just recently in New Zealand and she's just recently moved back and um it was wonderful like I haven't had that hug for many years because we haven't seen each other and it was just it was beautiful but do you know (laughs) what might make you feel uncomfortable is um in New Zealand the traditional Maori greeting Mm -hmm. um is a hongi and that's when you a hongi and that's Uh when you press your nose together so interesting each other kind of like kind of like shake hands but you also touch like press noses and you just hold it there for a couple of seconds and it's really 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 close (laughs) I feel like as long as the other person doesn't have bad breath it's probably not that bad but I feel like that's like just really intimate yeah it is but how difficult is it when you like the kiss on the cheek like so I the funny thing with like relatives yeah and it's like oh 
oh, okay, we're going for this. And is it one or is it two? Like where, where are we going here? So the confusing part is that like in different European countries, it's a different amount of kisses and different oh, sides. Yeah. And so like in Spain, I think it's like every time I try to think about this, I can't remember because it's instinctual, but in Spain, I think it's right, left, I think if I'm, if I'm remembering it, but, but then in France, it's left, right. If oh. someone's listening to this and they're like, you're wrong, you, that's fine. You can tell me I'm wrong. I just, I'm trying to remember this. And then, no, and in France, is it three? There is some, in some country there's three. And then yeah. in other countries, there's only one. And so I think in Portugal, I think it's one. Ah, that's and so interesting. It's I so confusing. That there's and like a so, protocol. Yeah. And so what happens is like, obviously when you first, when you first arrive to Spain, you don't have the like muscle memory of remembering which side goes first. And yeah. so like it, like I've almost kissed people on the lips before. Cause like they go one way and I go the other way. And it's just, it's weirdly uncomfortable, but also it's like casual touching here in Europe is so different mm. than, ca- than, than in the United States. And I was actually thinking about this the other day. Cause I went to a dinner party and I was talking to, it was, a, it was a very international group of people. It was like, it was me, an Irish guy, an Israeli guy, a, a Catalan girl, um, a, another American guy, and and then I think a French guy. And I, it was it's really interesting because like the casual touching in each one of these sort of cultures is very different. But because all of us have been in Spain for a while, you start to see that like like for example, like Irish culture there's not a lot of casual touching as far as I know, but the Irish guy that I was talking to was very much a casual toucher. And Mm. so it's so interesting to see how it seeps in. Cause for me, I remember when I first got here, it was so confusing because first of all, everybody is, calls each other like guapo guapa, which means like beautiful or good looking. Mm -hmm. So be like, Mm. oye guapa or like, ay gracias guapísima. And, and so I was like, oh my God, people think I'm so attractive. And we're like, no, no, no. They say that to everybody. <laughs> yeah. But it's then like, hey, also, hey, mate. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But then also like people would um, like, t- like casually touch. And I'm like, is everybody trying to sleep with me? Mm. And now it's like confusing because yes, yeah, some of them are, but like some of them aren't. And it's really hard to distinguish. Yeah. Um, I, I love that. Cause I'm, I'm a toucher. Yeah. And sometimes I'm like, oh, I need to. Like I'm very much, um, even with strangers, like a hand on a shoulder or like a hand on a back or, you know, something like that. I have to sometimes just remind myself that not, you know, people just don't like to be touched. And especially in places like New Zealand and stuff, it's like, oh, that's a bit weird. Um, But how do you, like if you're in Spain and it is, you know, it is the common thing to, to do the two kisses, how do you opt out? How do you, like, you don't, and is it rude to opt you out? like, can't, uh, you can pretend yeah. you can be like, I'm a foreigner and like put your hand up like awkwardly. Yeah. But, um, it's really hard to opt out. Yeah. Like I, I think, yeah, I, uh, I, I think with COVID it was a little bit easier because you like, obviously with COVID people weren't trying to like force you to kiss each other. But yeah. then there were some times in COVID where I was really uncomfortable. I was like, I'm wearing a mask. Why are you trying to kiss me? Like, ah. isn't this the point of like yeah. wearing the mask is to not be close to each other? Yeah. It's yeah. A bit weird. So um, <laughs> that was confusing, but yeah. So I have a dad joke for today and I have to say, I'm just going to be right, very upfront with like my filter for knowing if this, if like this is acceptable or not acceptable is not great. So I'm going to throw it out there that if I say this and anyone that's listening is like, that's not okay. Can you please let me know? Because 
I heard it and I was like, oh my gosh, that's actually funny. But then I was like, wait, is it okay that I think that this is funny or is it, or is this like horribly insensitive? So I'm going to say it and I'm going to, OP, I'm going to see your reaction. But now I'm feeling stressed because I'm like, what if I laugh and what if I, or what if I don't laugh? Like, well, worst case scenario, we cut it out. Like worst case scenario, you hear it and you're like, no. And then we cut it out and it's like, this never existed. Or we have this like build up to it. And then we decide that we're going to cut out the joke. <laughs> so you guys don't even joke. know what the joke is. Yeah. <laughs> Suspense. Okay. okay. Um, so how does a non-binary samurai kill people? Oh my gosh. I don't know. They slash them. Um, no, I think that's totally acceptable. Okay. okay. It's quite clever, I, actually. Yeah, I thought it was I thought it was incredibly clever. And then I was like, am I? But then yeah, I don't know. All right. Well, so today we're gonna do a QA party. And we've got three interesting questions. I think hmm. really interesting questions. So you guys know QA party. We we aim for like one answer each. So I'll ask OP the first question, she'll answer, and then I'll answer, and then we'll move on to question number two. Let's hop in. I'm so I'm going to ask this question then, OP. Since this is a question from one of your clients, do you want to add like a little bit of context and then add your answer? Yeah, totally. Perfect. So the question is: Is it helpful to have high standards? Yeah. So this um, this is a conversation I had with a client where she was she's wondering if she's pushing herself enough in the gym. Like, is she actually lifting enough weight? Maybe she feels like she should be doing more. So we kind of had a conversation around comparison because she, she wants to know what other people are doing. So this is within grit and grace, my group program. She wants to know what other people are lifting, what other people are doing and to know where she kind of sits um, and if she's doing enough. And so the conversation kind of came to where it's not actually a comparison against other people. It's, it's more of a comparison for herself or where her, where her standards are and the expectations for herself, because she's like, I always want to be giving my best effort and high standards, I think. And actually I read a, um, a study on this recently. I can't remember what it was called, but it's in a, um, a research um, thing that I subscribe to with athletes. So high standards are really key to have, you know, that we, we want to set goals and we want to set things for ourselves so that we're striving for them, but it's the meaning that we attach to them and what we do when maybe we don't reach those high standards or we don't meet expectations. Um, it's how we deal with that. So acceptance comes into that um, and yeah, what we make that mean about us. So having high standards is a really great thing setting goals, but then letting them be being in the process and letting the outcome of those goals, just like be whatever they are. And the way that we think about ourselves within that. Yeah. I think I, I completely agree with that. And I, the way that I would kind of approach this is looking at like the difference between standards and expectations. Mm. And so I, one of my ex-boyfriends gave me like the Buddhist manifesto. I don't even remember. It was like five years ago. And it, and in it, there was something about like, the only time we are disappointed is when our reality does not live up to our expectations. Yeah. And that for me was like, boom, like I am like the queen of setting expectations. I am like constantly trying to predict the future, constantly trying to like know what's happening. And that's like a defense mechanism. Right. And so I started to 
like explore the difference between standards and expectations. Like you could have a high standard for how someone treats you or how you show up in the gym, but not have an expectation for what that looks like as far as like gym numbers or like weight loss or whatever that is. So you for, and I'll give you an example, like you can have the standard of like, I'm going to show up in the gym with the highest capacity that I can on my training days. But an expectation would be, I'm going to hit X weight on all of my back squats, you know, on this day. And it's like, it's pretty, it's pretty probable that like at some point that expectation is not going to be met because you'll have slept badly. It'll be like a certain part of your cycle, like whatever that is. But if you have the standard of, well, I'm going to show up at my best, my highest capacity on the days that I go to the gym, you're going to be a lot less hard on yourself because you're like, well, I lived up to that standard, but I didn't have the expectation. And I think that that is a really important difference. And for me, it's, it's a big work in progress. Like, it's not like all of a sudden you're going to let go of expectations, but it can be helpful because you'll start to notice is this an expectation that I'm holding myself to, or is this a standard that I have for myself? And I think that that is a pretty big difference. Yeah, totally. Totally agree. And there is this quote that I love um, by Shakespeare. Expectation is the root of all heartache. Mm -hmm. And I think that we, expectations also are like the shoulds that we have. Oh yeah. Ourselves, right and I think that is that really big um, separator between having standards and um, expectations that expectations don't necessarily equal motivation either you know um, like the standards that we set for ourselves we we can have those high high standards because we want to be putting ourselves on the hook right that's how we make progress that's how we achieve things we want to put ourselves on the hook but the way that we go about that the way that we think about ourselves the kindness and compassion that we have with ourselves along that process um that is the most important thing yeah yeah I completely I completely agree with that do you want to go on to move on to the next yeah totally so um this is a question that Jillian uh Jillian's client had one of Jillian's client why are some people naturally leaner than others how much of it is genetics versus lifestyle Yes. So background on this question, this is from a client who was told over and over as a child, like, oh, you just have a slow metabolism. And so she, when she came to work with me, she had this belief about herself. That's like, I need to be extraordinarily strict with myself, like super strict with myself about what I eat, because I just naturally have a predisposition to be larger than other people. And I just have a slow metabolism. And, and to give a little bit of background, the truth was, was not that this, this person had a slow metabolism by any, for, like her t- metabolism was completely normal. She just y- used to eat quite a lot of food. And so when, when we eat quite a lot of food, our, that's how our bodies react is if you eat more than you use in a day over time, you will gain body fat. If you eat less, you will lose body fat. And if you eat at maintenance, you will maintain and so if we look at like, you know, well, why are some people naturally leaner than others and, and how much of it is genetics versus lifestyle? I don't know the exact percentage. I wish I did. I wonder if we could find out, but there is a large portion of it that is genetics. And, and when we look at the, at what this actually means, there isn't going to be, as far as I, my understanding, there's not a huge range of like basal metabolic rate. It's not like some people that are the same size burn you know, and when I talk basal metabolic rate is like 
you're in bed all day, not moving. Like this is how much you need to stay alive, right? Like how many, how much energy you need to stay alive. And so there's not, it's not like me and someone else that is the exact same size as me, like height, weight is going like, it's not like my basal metabolic rate is going to be hundreds of calories higher than theirs. But when we look at like how our bodies actually digest and take energy out of food and also what our daily movements are like, all of that stuff plays a part. And so for example, you might be genetically predisposed to be more nervous than someone else. And so you fidget more. That is going to raise the amount of calories that you burn in a day and probably lead to you being potentially leaner than someone else simply because your natural state is to move around more than someone else right? You may also just see like some people are genetically predisposed to be taller than other people. Some people are genetic predisposed to be shorter than other people. That is, that is in many cases also going to affect things like body composition, how many, how many calories you burn throughout a day. And then when we look on the lifestyle side is like, we can't really separate, we can't really separate the two hundred percent because you may be genetically predisposed to something and then use your lifestyle factors to work against that. And, and so it is very intertwined genetics and lifestyle. I think that what we can say is like, some people are genetically predisposed to perhaps like not absorb as many mm, calories from the food that they eat. Other people are genetically predisposed to be extremely efficient in getting as many calories as they possibly can out of the food that we eat. And then when we look at lifestyle, a lot of it is like, what are the what are the factors within your day-to-day that either contribute or take away from your, um, your caloric expenditure? And so that mm. might be like, hey, you know, this person works in a factory where they're like moving boxes all day and like lifting things. And so they're probably gonna, gonna be expending more calories than someone that has an office job. Um, someone that has children and is running around after them all day may be, you know, probably going to be expending more calories than someone that is single and lives alone and plays video games all day. So it definitely is like people are genetically predisposed to have body types that are, you can probably see like in families be like, oh, my body, like my body type personally is very much like my mom, but I am also like bone structure is a bit smaller. Whereas like my brother, his body type is very much like my dad. And so my brother and I are never going to have the same type of body, partly because he's a man and I'm a woman, and partly because our genetics, even within the same family, have predisposed us to be slightly different. Hmm. Um, I love everything that you said there, Jillian. And I think the that narrative of, oh, my metabolism is slow, is hmm. one that many women cling to. Oh, 100%. And for, you know, to understand the truth of actually just how your body works and, you know, everything that you've just said is so crucial here to break away from that, that narrative. And it's hard because that is what is fed to us, you know, within marketing and social media and stuff like that as well. It's like hormone, your hormones are a problem. That's why your metabolism is a problem, blah, blah, blah. And um, that can be a crux. And what you said as well uh, with what you were sharing was so key about lifestyle factors that lifestyle factors are so often that's such simple things you know stuff that we talk about all the time your sleep like your how much energy you are bringing in your stress management you know 
hydration, these really basic things um, that we can do with lifestyle contribute so much to metabolism, but people want to be looking for the quick fixes because they, they hear that narrative and they take that on that the metabolism is slow and that's a problem rather than looking at the really basic thing. So yeah, it's an interesting um, conversation and it's one that like continue, we need to continue to kind of like debunk because this generic thing of metabolisms being slow, especially for women, is just not helpful at all. And like you said, like with your client, it's not even, that's not even applicable to her. Like that's not even a thing, but um, that is what she was believing and that was what she was holding on to. And it creates such a fear around food too. It's like, if my metabolism is, is low, I have to stay away from these foods. And what is most likely happening and this is like, I'm going to go out on a limb here. What is most likely happening in many cases where you're like, my metabolism is slow is you're probably under eating a lot on purpose, not eating very much food. And then that restriction leads you to binging or overeating. So it's not that your metabolism is slow. It's that your binging or overeating is actually taking you out of what you believe is caloric deficit. And that's why, because usually it's like my metabolism is slow. That's why I'm not losing weight. Yeah. And it's, it is a lot more likely to be due to a lifestyle or an adherence thing than it is to like a genetics thing. Whereas like, yeah, some people are always going to be in a larger body than other people. Like Mm -hmm. I will never be like a wafy, thin, like fairy little, like tiny bird boned person. That's just not who I am. And also just one last thing on this before we move on. I think also, you know, some people just, they don't need to eat as much as other people. Yep. And some people need to eat more. And it can be really hard if you're an individual where if you, you know, you don't actually need to eat as much or if you do eat more, then you can gain um, body fat by doing so. And that's really hard if you see someone who eats a lot and they don't gain body fat or whatever. Um, But again, it's just kind of like, this is just what it is. Like, this is just different bodies and we just have to work with our body and accept that. And when we do start to lean into it, then we can find some freedom with this stuff. Yeah. And that's a whole different conversation about like fat phobia and weight stigma. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, All right. Well, we have one more question. And that question is, how do I reconcile wanting to be a people pleaser with my health and fitness goals? And just some background on this. This is from a client of mine who is just an absolutely delightful human being. And one of the identities that she holds quite close to her heart is like, she really likes making people happy and she really hates conflict, like really hates it. And so, and she's, but you know, and, and, and what's happening now is she's also got some health and fitness goals that mean that going with the flow and just doing what other people want is not necessarily conducive to reaching those goals. Mm. This is, I actually have a couple of clients where we've been having similar conversations um, as well. And uh, like going out to eat with friends and family has been super challenging um, for them with them staying on track with what they want to be doing. This is okay. I have many thoughts with this. So, um, uh, making compromises, I think, is something that comes up here. That, and this comes back to autonomy as well with our decision making. That 
we can decide to make a compromise. So we talk about this all the time, but this does come back to values as well. So if you are in like a situation where you're with family and it is important to you to eat that food or to not say no to what is given to you or to not express kind of like what you're working on and just eat the food without, you know, talking about it or saying no, or I'm working towards something or whatever, that's fine. Like you get to decide that and that's where you make a compromise. And then from there, you have to make the decision. Am I going to feel bad about this? Am I going to feel frustrated about this? Am I going to feel stressed about this compromise? Or am I going to accept it and move on? Because you have to either way. So um, I think that, that, yeah, that conversation of like compromise is really important with understanding that you do have that option um, with, with what you want to do there. I'm going to throw it to you, Gillian. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that it, it is a compromise and I think you're right. A lot of it has to do with like doing things and then feeling guilty for them afterwards and then being like, oh, well, I did this because I'm a people pleaser. And, and the way, so the way that we actually broke this one down in our last session together is we talked a little bit about like, well, what, like, what are you avoiding by being a people pleaser? Like, what are you not holding yourself responsible for by being a people pleaser? And also like in the specific situations in which you notice that you're people pleasing, like, is that simply because we don't have an alternative approach? Is this because like you like using these experiences as an excuse to do something that you actually want to do, but you feel like don't align with your health and fitness goals? Or is it simply that, that you're not familiar or comfortable with what it looks like to communicate what your needs are? And, and within this, we kind of broke down like a specific, you know, specific situations in which, for example, like friends invite you out to eat or friends invite you out for a drink. And we talked about, well, what's the actual point of the social gathering? Like the people pleasing part is the people pleasing part, the part about you actually physically being there with the people that you love, or is the people pleasing part about like being there with the people that you love and having a cocktail, right? And I think we often don't separate the two. We often think like, oh, well, they've invited me out for a drink. So that means that to make them happy, I have to go and I have to drink. And I, and, and something, and, and I think it can be quite uncomfortable as a people pleaser at first to separate those two and be like, no, the point of me actually going is to be with the other human. And yes, there is a discomfort, especially like we were talking about this the other day is like alcohol is the only drug that you have to explain to people why you're not doing it. Like it's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Um, and if you, if alcohol is something that you struggle with, we did do an episode on alcohol. I don't remember what, what episode it was, but we'll link it in the show notes. Um, and and we talked about, well, what is the communicate, like, what is the, the bare minimum of communication needed in order for you to get the outcome that you want, which is you spend time with the people that you love and make them happy. And you also are able to act in a way that aligns with the goals that you have. And so we actually practiced phrases for like, when these situations come up, this is how I'm going to communicate. And I found that for this specific uh, client as, you know, very like people pleasers, a very strong part of her identity. It was really helpful for her to actually have phrases in her pocket and think about it ahead of time. So that in the moment, it wasn't like a deer in headlight situation. Mm. Um, priorities shift all the time and allowing yourself to 
allowing priorities to shift in your life is so key. But I really like what you said about understanding what the motive, like what that motivation was, right? Was it that there was a kind of like a cover up for actually wanting to do that thing and using that maybe as an excuse? So like wanting to have that drink, but using this kind of situation as an excuse, or it was like actually the fear of letting people down. Oh my gosh. I just lost my train of thought. Um, oh, that's what I was going to say. The way that we embody or the way that we express emotions and the things that we want to do can come out in so many different ways, right? Like the like what you said, the whole point of going to meet her friends and what was actually coming out of that can be expressed in so many different ways. And it doesn't have to be a drink. It can be like like just being there, the presence or the hug that you give or whatever, you know, it's like, we don't have to be eating something or drinking something to express love for people. So understanding that that value can be embodied in different ways, I think is really key. And that comes into like how you embody your priorities as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I think then the, like the next step for this is like actually being able to speak up at a certain point. Like once, once you get comfortable being like, oh, you know, okay, I'm here for the experience. Like I'm not here for like the accoutrement of the experience, which is like the food and the drink. Then you may get to a point where you feel comfortable enough to like, instead of just going along with like, this person wants to go eat this thing. And what you'd rather eat is like, you know, something that is more veggie heavy, for example, you may, as you practice this stuff, start getting more comfortable with like being like, oh, actually, like, can we go to this place? Or like, do you mind if we meet for a coffee? Or do you mind if we go for a walk? And so I think it's like a different levels type thing where it's like, first you get comfortable, like perhaps just leaning into the experience that already is. And then maybe at a certain point you get comfortable being like, well, how do I have my own say in the experience? And knowing that it's not going to upset people it's not going to ruffle any feathers. It's not going to cause conflict, but I think it takes time to get used to that. Bravery as well. Yeah. Like it's a and really, practice. Really great thing. Yeah. And yeah. I had a client who had a really similar thing and it was with her family. And the more she just got more, I mean, the more we do something, the more confident we become in something, the more confidence and it's that loop, right? But it starts with bravery and it starts with choosing yourself. And the more that you do that, the easier it does get. And also, I think that when we do this, we also can be inspiration for other people. Not that that's the point, but we can be an inspiration for other people to choose themselves as well. Because so many people struggle in social situations yeah. where they're doing things that they don't actually want to do, but they do it anyway. And sometimes I feel like like sometimes it can be like a whole social thing and everybody's in there like doing things that they actually don't want to do because there's this, yeah, it's like, <laughs> totally. yeah, it's just like, what are we all doing here? <laughs> I completely agree with that. I completely agree. Well, OP, we got through three pretty interesting questions today. Nice. And I, this is our first Q&A party together, which is so exciting. I want to say to anyone listening, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for listening uh, if you have not left, left us a rating or review yet, please do that. It's so helpful for other people to find the podcast. And also those of you that have been sharing on Instagram, uh, thank you so much. 
it is so, so, so cool to see the episodes that people are loving, uh, to also hear what you're getting out of the different episodes. And it is an incredibly free and supportive way to support the work that Holly, Olivia, and I do to get this podcast out to you. And with that, you will be, so in the future, we're working on, you guys know that our time zones are a bit of a clusterfuck to say the least. (laughs) So we're doing our best to get the three of us on as many episodes as possible, but you will be hearing more like you might be hearing a me and OP episode. You might be hearing like an HP and OP episode. Sorry, I realized I was like, people are going to be like, who are you talking about? You might hear like me and Olivia. You might hear Holly and Olivia. You might hear me and Holly. And so you're going to get the the mixing pot of the Be Well Cartel just in slightly different flavor combinations. Delicious. Yeah, delicious and nutritious. (laughs) And with that, we have some really awesome episodes coming up. So get excited for those. Ask your friends to subscribe to our podcast. That is a really cool thing you can do. I'm going to go maybe have my second coffee of the day. I know you probably already had your second coffee of the day. Yeah, I have had too much coffee today. So fingers crossed for me for sleep tonight. You're really, like I said before, you're really living on the edge tonight. Really living on the edge. Uh Um, Well, with that, my friend, Olivia, it has been just a delight. And I will see you again very soon.